When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. What is up, everybody? Welcome to a very special edition of AMA, where you guys get to ask me anything. And as my wife destroys the set just off camera, we're kicking things off. We have a live studio audience today, which is why we're back on uh, the other set, so that we've got more room. And for those of you that don't know, my boy, Daniel DiPiazza, a.k.a. Rich, 20-something, you're about to. Uh, he's done content with us before. He was a part of the 24-Hour Live. An amazing dude. Uh, one of the earliest supporters of Impact Theory. Super stoked to have him and his mastermind group here live with us today. So they're going to uh, kick us off with the first question. So without further ado, boys and girls, Daniel DiPiazza. Oh, what a buildup. I don't know. Huh? <laughs> How do I follow that? Okay. Let's, let's kick this off with uh, something about mindset. I know this is one of your favorite areas to talk let's about. Let's do it. From where you were, you know, maybe 10 years ago as a copywriter and kind of in the, in the grind, in the shit, as you would say, what was the biggest mindset shift that you felt either happened to you or that you had to force upon yourself to free up some of that mental clutter and kind of break free from the matrix like you often refer to? The biggest thing for me, without question, the single biggest realization of my life and the only thing that's ever felt like an epiphany has been when I realized that I could choose what I built my self-esteem around. And I found myself, as I'm sure we've all encountered people that are arguing for dumb ideas just because they're theirs, I was that guy. And it's because I was building my self-esteem around being right, being good, being smart, uh, being worthy. Those were all the things that my self-esteem was wrapped up in. And they're ultimately very fragile. And they're ultimately things that make you make really stupid decisions. And the reason they're fragile is you're inevitably going to meet people who are smarter, better, faster, stronger than you are. And that's going to hit your self-esteem, which then there's this whole thing called the psychological immune system, which is going to kick in. And the psychological immune system is not only real, it's amazing. And people that delude themselves more aggressively are actually happier. Like, let that sink in for a second. So the psychological immune system is going to lie to you. It's going to tell you that you're fine. Everybody else is wrong. And it's going to feel great. And it's actually going to improve the quality of your life, which is really distressing. Because if you have goals and you're trying to attain those goals, like for real, not bullshitting yourself, but actually, like actually wanting to make your dreams come true. And this is something that I think separates a lot of people and I'll, I'll talk more about later, most people want to play at achieving their goals and their real goal is to feel good about themselves. Yeah. And in one lightning rod moment, I was arguing with my partners who were 10 years ahead of me on their entrepreneurial journey. They were just smarter than me. And by that, I just mean they can process raw data faster than me. So IQ north of something like 120 no longer correlates to your potential success. It all comes down to like hard work, grit, perseverance. Um, so... It didn't really matter that they were smarter than me. 
other than the fact that I prided myself on being smart. So now here I am in this environment where I'm constantly reminded I'm not the smartest person in the room, which then hurts and makes me feel badly about myself, makes me want to get out of that situation, or it makes me want to do things like argue for my idea just to win. And so I found myself doing that. And I was arguing about something that I knew was wrong. And if you've ever been, and this happens in relationships a lot, where you know you're wrong, but you can't stop yourself. And oh, so yeah. you just keep fucking arguing. Yeah. And there's a little voice in your head saying like, you know you're wrong, stop. At any moment now, just stop, stop, stop. And you keep going. And so I was having the business equivalent of that. And the voice in my head wasn't small, nor was it quiet. It was outright screaming, you're wrong and you know you're wrong. So what are you doing? And then... To make matters worse, at the end of it, I actually convinced them that I was right. And so they decided, oh, okay, yeah, we should do it that way. And I thought, what have I just done? Like, wow. literally, my stated goal at the time was to get rich. And I had convinced them of an idea that I knew was going to move us away from that goal. So in that moment, I said, okay, I need to be honest with myself about what I actually want. Because if what I want is just to feel good about myself, then I'm in the wrong environment because I feel badly about myself routinely yeah. because they're so smart and so much farther ahead of me. So if what I want is just to feel good about myself, I should get myself out of this environment. And this, is, this was actually what I was thinking to myself. There wow. was that level of like clarity. And I was like, okay, it, it's okay. Like no judgment on myself if what I just want to do is go feel good and be a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. But if I actually want to get rich and I'm not actually playing at it and I really want to do it, then I've got to stop worrying about feeling good about myself. And the thought of that, of not feeling good about myself anymore, was so horrifying that I just sat there and was like, neither of those work. Like, neither of them are tenable. Once you're aware that you're just trying to be a big fish in a small pond, you feel douchey. And then once you realize, like, I just want to pretend that I'm chasing my dreams and I'm not really, you also, you feel like a liar, quite frankly. And so there's like this um, disharmony in yourself. And so I was like, God, like I need to feel good about myself. So the only thing I could think of was to build my self-esteem around something that, and I didn't have the word anti-fragile, but ultimately after reading Nassim right. Taleb's book of the same name, I realized that's what I was looking for, was like, what was that thing that I could pride myself on that also moved me towards my goals? So that's what I was thinking of. Like, what could I be proud of and feel good about that was moving me towards my goals? Always, like by default, yeah. its very nature yeah. was to move me towards my goals. And the only thing that I could think of was to be the learner. So, okay, well, if I'm not the smartest guy, then stop taking pride in that. Start taking pride in learning. Start taking pride in, and this is maybe even more important than the idea of the learner, start taking pride in your willingness to admit that you were wrong. And so that was like a real big thing because I thought, well, if I mentally congratulate myself for saying, you know, I could have been 30 seconds ago arguing vehemently for something because I believed it, but then immediately go, you know what, actually, I'm wrong. You're right. Your idea is better. And like, I'm going to get all over that. And because other people, when, whenever somebody goes, dude, you know what? You've convinced me I was wrong. You always think that guy's amazing. <laughs> like, I can't believe yeah. you did that. So, but yet when it's yourself, you just want to double down. You want to be right. And so I thought, I'm going to totally let go of that. And even though it doesn't feel real, I'm going to remember how I feel about people every time they say that they're wrong. Wow. That I'm like, wow, man, like, good on you. Like to be able to have that clarity and suddenly yeah. you feel connected and they feel like above something, right? It's like, whoa, like they're not held back by the ego or whatever, all the things that we struggle with. 
So I started doing that. And that ended up being the, the breakthrough that allowed me to ascend in the company. One, because my ego wasn't getting in the way anymore. And then two, I was building an even bigger ego than I'd had before, but it wasn't fragile because I could encounter somebody smarter than me. I could in encounter a better idea, but I would just keep repeating to myself, you're valuable because you learn. You're valuable because you admit when you're wrong. And because of that, like the more I was like, I'm wrong, I would actually look for opportunities to, to like, I'm constantly checking like, am, am I wrong here? Because if I'm wrong, I get that really cool moment where I'm yeah. like, oh, you were right. <laughs> and then I started putting all the energy behind the right idea. And in doing that, People wanted to bring their ideas to me because I would breathe life into them. And I would say, hey, this is Daniel's idea. It's not my idea, but I really believe in it. And so wow. that just, it, it changed everything. Wow. Idea meritocracy, that's... Yeah, well, idea meritocracy, that's a whole nother thing, yeah. uh, which I assume you've read Ray Dalio's book, which yeah. is... It's a whole other thing. Utterly that was a, a, great, a great response. Thank you, Tom. My Appreciate pleasure. you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, man. All right, our next question comes online from Albert Wesker. This is from YouTube. Hi, Tom. Greetings from Columbia. What is up, Columbia? What is the best way to find a mentor when you are in your early 20s and you don't have too much money to pay a professional coach? All right, so getting a mentor, it's always the same, and it goes exactly like this. Go to somebody who's living your ideal life, and that's really important. This is where people fall on their face, is they don't pick somebody who's living their ideal life, they pick somebody that's near them. So you really wanna find somebody that the following um, magic words that I'm gonna give you will actually make sense in your life. So you identify that person, you go to them and say the following, I'm gonna work for you for free for 90 days. I'm gonna work harder and smarter than anyone you've ever met, and at the end of that time, if you'd rather pay me than lose me, then pay me and I'll stay on staff. If not, we shake hands and part ways and, and that's the end of it. And then, and this is the key, you're going to deliver against that in the most extreme way possible. There is nothing that is above you. If they ask you to take out the trash, you're gonna take out the trash better than it has ever been taken. And you're going to win people over by delivering a crushing amount of value. You're going to anticipate their needs. You're going to understand them. You're gonna know more about them and their business than anyone else in the company. You're gonna come in over-prepared so that you can over-deliver and you're gonna set the bar ridiculously high and then surpass all expectations. And if you don't believe that that's true, ask yourself what it would look like if I interned for you for 90 days. If you can feel the magic in that, if you can just, and, and by the way, put me in an area where I know absolutely nothing so that I can't rely on my, um, what I've learned over the years. So make me go be one of those guys on a fishing boat um, and which I know absolutely nothing about. And all I have in the beginning is attentiveness, a willingness to work, never complaining, and always making sure that everybody's having fun and that I'm a ball of energy to be around. And then I'm gonna learn faster than anyone because I'm gonna put in more time than anyone. And I've done that in my life. Just instead of gutting fish, I was making protein bars. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I showed up every day and there was no way I was gonna complain. I was always gonna be upbeat. I was always gonna be energetic. I was always gonna take the worst job, by the way, so that I could show people this is what it looks like to bring joy and enthusiasm to this thing. There were times where I was waking up in the middle of the night and my hands were cramping closed because I would take the hardest job and I had to like grind the protein bars that got, when they first ran through, they were too heavy or too light and you have to break them up by hand, at least in the early days. And it was brutally difficult. And 
I would take that job and I would make sure that people were having fun and that they saw the energy and all that. So you can always do that. And it's always about going in and outworking and out learning people. If you do that, if you make that offer to 10, 15 people, one of them is going to say yes, probably more then say no. And if at the end of that time, by the way, they still can't afford to pay you, but you're crushing it and you're learning a lot because you're going to do all of this in exchange for um, knowledge and connections. And that at the end of the day is far more valuable than the money because the money is a one-off. Whereas the knowledge and connections will last forever if you know how to leverage it. All right. Next question. Sim Land, our boy, what is up? He says, Tom, if you were to put, if you were put in a similar situation as Viktor Frankl in the Nazi concentration camps, this escalated quickly, uh, <laughs> i.e. inevitable pain and indefinite torture, how would you maintain a positive growth mindset for yourself and those around you? So let me just say that I am the absolute wrong person to answer this question. I've never gone through anything like that. I was just watching a movie last night called um, 12 Strong. And I thought, I know that when we, because we're going to record a piece of content around that, which by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to our forward slash Impact Theory Studios on YouTube and you love filmmaking, comic books, TV shows, all that, and only if, go subscribe. And I know that when we do that, one of the questions we will face as we're doing our panel on that is, um, would we make the same choices that those insanely brave guys make? And I, I just thought, I'm not the right person to answer that question. I've never been put in that situation. And so I can tell you what I hope is true of me. Um, but until you've really been tested like that, I think it's grossly arrogant to say that you would or wouldn't do something. So um, I would like to think that I end up in a similar place that Viktor Frankl ended up. But rather than tell you it is what I would do, I will tell you what Viktor Frankl actually did, which was to find a reason for going through all of that, to find meaning in his suffering. And so that's why the title of his book is Man's Search for Meaning. And he said that you could literally see when somebody gave up and they no longer had a reason to suffer the just insane indignities and pain and all of that, they would die within 72 hours. And they would die because they'd just given up. They just didn't have anything bigger than themselves to keep moving. And I talk a lot about the whole notion, the Greek notion of techni, which is to um, build a set of skills that is unique to you and use that set of skills in service of other people. And it's that in service of other people that brings in fulfillment in your life. And look, at the end of the day, I promise the game that you're playing is brain chemistry. It isn't money, it isn't worldly success, it is very much how you feel about yourself when you're all alone. That's it, that's the only juice that matters uh, because you can give somebody all the money in the world and if they're depressed and suicidal, the, the money is of not only little consolation, it's of no consolation. So, and conversely, if somebody feels fulfilled and happy and they just love their life and love what they're doing, not having money would not be an impediment. So money is useful, but it certainly doesn't change the way that you feel about yourself. Um, so that is, and look, if, if I found myself tomorrow in a concentration camp, I would literally be leaning on Viktor Frankl's book, which is incredible. And I think everybody should read it. Um, and it ties into, I think it was Nietzsche that said, uh, a man who has a why can survive almost any how. And I think that that is, um, is so true, and it's very true on a much lesser level uh, when you're an entrepreneur. So when you know why you're doing what you're doing, like it's just easier to push through the hard times, the boredom, um, the lack of sleep, whatever it is that you're struggling with, when you really know and believe uh, in why you're doing it, then, then you've got a chance. So uh, in a really short way, I would say that I, the way to keep the growth mindset is to, it's not really about growth so much at that point, um, but it is that notion of like my shirt today, everything is my fault. Like how can you find a way to see that 
um, while the circumstances are being created by somebody else, how you feel about them is entirely on you. And so you can own that and find a way to see something positive, even if it's just sharing your humanity with the other people that are stuck there. Um, so finding that why becomes important. All right. Next question is from Keet Koa. Tom, thanks for your inspiration. What advice do you have for a teen who struggles with reading due to a disability? Uh, he has a super attitude and works hard, but the disability also impacts his social skills. Thanks. Um, so I'm going to pretend that this is dyslexia, and I'll let that stand in for all the other disabilities that might have um, this a similar kind of effect to what you're talking about. And the reason that I want to use dyslexia is in the beginning, when people first really started understanding it, um, it was just seen as holding people back, period. There was nothing advantageous about it. And then they found over time that actually the people that are dyslexic um, tend to be able to break rules and think more creatively far more than other people. And so I forget the stat, but it's something like two thirds of all self-made and it wasn't millionaires, but it was like north of a hundred million or something. I don't remember the exact number, um, but two thirds of them, or sorry, one third of them all had dyslexia. And I thought, what the fuck? Like that just goes to show like the a two things are going on. One, there may be an actual neurological advantage. And then two, um, when you have to overcome something, very trying, it destroys most of the people that it touches. Think of the inner cities. I think most people that grow up hard, underprivileged, it eats them alive and they're never able to get escape velocity to get out of the circumstances that they grew up in. But the people that do, your Jay-Zs of the world, they go on to be just astonishing because to get escape velocity in something where the gravitational pull of being underprivileged is so insanely strong that the people that make it out of that, they're tougher um, and they've just had to find some way. So they're, they're really, um, it's one of the reasons that I'm not a parent because I know that hardship and suffering is exactly what people need to find their greatness. But man, putting somebody in a situation like that is brutally, brutally difficult. Um, so I would look for what is the advantage if there is one, and if there isn't one, make one up, quite frankly, um, in the disability that you have. And then two, everything is your fault. So looking at how the disability is holding you back is totally useless. And here's what I always tell people about um, excuses. The reason excuses are insidious is because they're so fucking valid. Having a disability, yeah, it, it's real and it's holding you back and things are going to be harder for you than other people, that is just truth. And now you can either accept that or you can say, well, I guess I'm gonna have to work harder. And the people that do that are the ones that go on to do extraordinary things. So whining about it, being sad about it, I get it, and no one is gonna fault you, no one is gonna say that you're a bad person for doing that, but I'm gonna tell you right now, you won't achieve what you wanna achieve if you waste any time wallowing in self-pity. So only because it doesn't serve you. And look at um, Stephen Hawking, he said, when you, God, what did he say? When you complain, nobody wants to help you. And I thought, whoa, for a guy that literally, he can move one muscle in his cheek and he doesn't complain and he's had some of the biggest breakthroughs in physics and he says, it's because I lost the use of my body that I've been able to have these huge breakthroughs. So he's not only complaining, but he's managed to find a way to reframe it as one of the most powerful things that's ever happened. So I invite you to do the same. All right, why don't we take a question from our live studio audience? Jump up. Uh, what's up, Tom? What's up? So what's one of uh, your most recent life awakenings or life understandings that makes you excited to live today? 
I will go with Ray Dalio's principles. And I'm glad you asked the question in such a grand way so that people can understand how much that book impacted me. Mm. So one of the things that I really felt was holding me back in life was I was really good in small groups and I did not know how to scale it. So when companies are small, man, I'm your guy. Like mm -hmm. I know how to do that. I know how to lead by example. I can create a cult of personality, get everybody amped up, make sure they're feeling good, make sure everybody's moving. And then as the company scaled and at Quest, we had 1400 employees before I left, it was like mass chaos. Mm -hmm. And I, I just didn't know how to keep like the innate human characteristics that we have to um, sweep things under the rug, to not talk openly about things, to harbor resentment. Like how do you keep that from becoming a problem? And I had things that I thought were solutions and maybe they helped a little, but they certainly didn't get me to where I wanted to go. And reading that book, I finally realized that I had had a failure of imagination. Now that is not something that happens to me very often. I'm like, I can legitimately believe in terraforming other planets and say, yeah, we can do that. Like, it's not going to be easy. Like you really have to learn a lot of shit, but like, mm -hmm. look at Elon Musk, right? I think he's actually going to pull it off and on a long enough timeline, I think for sure. So I never think of myself as getting caught in the trap of failing to think big enough. And then when I read Dalio's book, I realized I understood the principles. I just didn't think they could be carried out across a big enough organization. I didn't think you could say to somebody that if you harbor a resentment or a criticism and you never say it to anybody, that that's still a crime against the company and that you have an obligation to say that criticism out loud to that person. And I'll give you another example of something that Dalio does in Bridgewater, which is the largest hedge fund ever or the hmm. most successful. And they record every conversation and make it available to the entire company. So now I want you to think about the last time you were chastised by your boss. Now think about that being recorded and made available to everybody. Just full transparency. Full transparency, man. And I've heard people talk about praise publicly and criticize privately. Mm -hmm. And I've, that's never sat well with me as a human being, mm -hmm. but as a leader, I thought that makes so much sense because I've hurt people before because they feel like ashamed in front of the group, right. but you ready for the hard answer, man, the fuck up. Mm -hmm. And until you're ready, until you eagerly seek the truth about yourself, you'll never go anywhere. So you can hide from it and I get it and humans want to do that and that is a default position that I think most of us are in. So I have compassion and empathy for people who don't want other people to see their weaknesses. But a year before I read Principles, I was saying to people here, I want your aggressive or I want your feedback aggressive and public. I want it in front of people. And the reason I want it in front of people is I want everyone to see the only thing that matters is the truth. Because... I have the chills right now. Because <laughs> if I can explain this, man, like anybody listening right now is gonna have a breakthrough. Skills have utility. Did you ever watch the movie Into the Wild? Yes. Okay, he dies. Right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the reason he dies is because he doesn't know how to cure meat. And if he had gotten better at that skill, he might be alive today. Mm-hmm. So it's an example where a skill could have saved his life. In business, skills have utility. When you're actually good at something, meaning you can get more people to use your product or service, 
your company grows stronger. You can move up in that company. You can make more money. You can get stock options. You can get to the point where you can start your own company and have real ownership. You can make a product that actually improves people's lives. You can really solve a societal problem. Like the skills have actual utility. That's why I'm obsessed with skill acquisition. It has nothing to do with anything other than this shit allows me to do things I could not do before. My very definition of power is very simple. Close your eyes, imagine a world, open your eyes and make that world come true. That's power. When you can do that, when you can translate a vision into reality by acquiring and executing against your skill set. That's it, like that's the juice. And if people understood that, and in understanding that, all of a sudden you become a fiend for the truth because you just need to know. I can't see myself clearly. I can see other people clearly, but I don't have that same clarity for myself. Truth is the only thing that will let me get it. And so the reason that I ask people to give it to me aggressively and publicly is I want them all to see. It is very plausible to deal with the emotional difficulty. And I'll do it in real time. I don't know what somebody's gonna say to me, but I'll deal with it in real time. I will open myself up to actually hear their message. I'll assess whether it's true or not. And if it's true, I will adopt it fast, man, mm. fast. Creativization. Because I'm so hungry for the fucking truth so that I can mm. actually execute at a higher level. And that's what I want people to understand. Then I would say the number one reason that people wouldn't do that is they're hiding from a piece of themselves for the, for the public confrontation. They're, they're avoiding pain. avoiding pain. And there's very little pain that's more ruthless than having your vision of yourself kicked in the dirt. Agreed. Right? We all create a vision of who we are and what we're capable of. And when you encounter something that says, no, you're not that. You're not good at something you thought you were good at. The mm -hmm. thing that you were building your pride around, going back to the most important realization I've ever had, the thing you were building your pride around, you're wrong about. That is one of the most devastating things a human being will go through. Outside of losing a loved one, it's not a lot that's gonna shake you up like that. And so when you build your pride around something so fragile, you protect it. And there are evolutionary mechanisms at work to make sure that it's easy to protect yourself from that, the psychological immune system. And basically every company you're ever going to go work in not only thinks it's acceptable to hide and that they want you to keep your criticisms to yourself, mm -hmm. but that they foster an environment where that's what people are meant to do. You're not meant to say things that could be construed as mean. You shouldn't be mean, by the way. There's no reason. Right. But when you're direct and you tell somebody you're not good at that and you handled that poorly, pe people will feel attacked. People on the outside will perceive you as attacking them. Right. So you have to build an organizational structure from the ground up mm -hmm. that says it's not okay to harbor even a silent criticism and that we prioritize the truth above everything. Did yeah. you find in the beginning that you needed to schedule that, like time to have the criticism? Um, yes, we do like get together in formal environments where people are meant to speak up, but I think if you force it to be built into scheduled time, you've already lost. And now I'll also say in full disclosure, we've only been deploying principles here for like three months now. So ask me again in you know a year or two years, mm -hmm. um, but right now, doing things like having an error log where people have to write down their mistakes, that it's okay to make a mistake, and it is absolutely a terminable offense to hide a mistake. So building things like that into the culture hopefully then takes a sea change.
If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start run and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Thank you for your question. All right. Next up, this is from Joe Stratham on Facebook. Tom, say you're 24 and you just graduated college with a bachelor's degree in entrepreneurship. You have 50K in student loans, but no idea what you want to do in life. Just the idea that you want to own your own business and work for yourself. You feel the pressure of the loans coming down as time passes, but want to avoid falling into the trap of the endless corporate ladder. What's the first thing you do? All right, first and foremost, I cut my expenses to the absolute quick. Either I'm living with my parents, I'm uh, managing apartment complexes, which is what I actually did, which allowed me to live rent-free at one point, $100 rent at another point, but you can get it like crazy dirt cheap. I'm gonna be paying down my principal on the loan to make sure that I'm getting out from under that as fast as I can. And then I'm going to... Um, take a job. If I don't have a company that I want to start, I'm going to take a job that gives me both reasonable amount of money uh, to live on my, you know, look, if I had to live with five people in a studio apartment, I would do it. Um, but whatever I need to live, but then allows me the free time to go and experience the things that I'm going to need to experience in order to actually cultivate a passion for something. And I think that that process looks like this. You encounter a lot of things. One of the things that you encounter will ultimately be an interest. You engage with that interest, fan the flames of that interest to see if it turns into a real fascination. If it turns into a fascination, then you go along the process of actually gaining mastery at it. And in the process of gaining mastery, it either will turn into a passion or you'll peter out and lose interest and realize you need to pivot and move on to something else. 
But that is what I would do. Expenses down to the quick. I would not live um, any sort of lavish lifestyle. And as somebody who didn't party, didn't go out, um, and forgive me for being one of the people to uh, cause pain to an industry that I love very much, like when I wanted to go see a movie, um, I would buy one ticket and then I would hide in the bathroom between screenings and I would see four movies at once. Uh, I would pack a lunch. I would not buy um, any snacks in the theater. I would wear a big jacket and stuff things in my sleeves. Um, so there are ways you've just got to be willing to put your head down, grind it out. Um, I didn't date, I didn't drink, I didn't go out, and I ate Tina's burritos. In fact, I owe a debt of gratitude to Tina's burritos because they were three for 99 cents, uh, and I could get a lot. And then back in the day, I lived off McDonald's dollar menu. Um, I did that for a long time, man. Thank you for taking me down memory lane. I haven't thought about Tina's burritos in a long time. Um, so yeah, there are ways. Most people just want to live a life that's way too lavish. Thankfully, I had absolutely no skills with girls. So because I couldn't get laid, um, it was very easy for me to not waste money on trying to get laid. Uh, so thems is the truth. But that did allow me to work relentlessly on acquiring skills. And time invested in acquiring skills will do you well. So, and then going back to what I said earlier about finding a mentor, somebody that can really help you. Also, you can defer student loans, by the way. Uh, so I would write to them and see how long you can defer. I think I got mine deferred for like six months at one point. Um, so yeah, do that. Figure out how much you can cut your expenses to the quick. Shut your mind off to anything luxury. Um, don't need a big house or um, you know your own bedroom or anything like that. Do whatever it takes, man. And that's why it comes down to that why. Remember our boy Nietzsche. If you've got a good enough why, you can survive almost anyhow. All right, next question is from Jelena Mosevich, Facebook. Hey, Tom, if you spend your entire life in service of other people, how do you change enough to put yourself first but still keep the sense of identity that empathy and compassion brings? All right, so this is advanced class shit, and it goes like this. At the end of the day, humans are both selfish and selfless, and you've got to get real comfortable with both. So take selflessness to the extreme. You would never eat anything because you'd always want to be giving it to somebody else in need. You starve to death and die, okay? So once we accept that that's really fucking stupid and that's not a smart path for anybody to take, now we can start to say, what is the point of helping other people? And I'll take a really crass approach to this and say that nature has incentivized behavior that it wants in order to guarantee that you pass on progeny so that you have kids and those kids survive. So the reason that we like helping other people is it was good for the group. It was good to ensure our safety as a collective. And since usually in smaller groups, in the old days, that collective was largely made up of people that shared at least some percentage of your genes. So it just made sense to protect those around you. So that's why it is really feels great to go help other people. But at the same time, man, I don't think you have any moral obligation not to do things for yourself first. I just think that thanks to that way that we're wired, that one of the ways you can do something for yourself is to also do things for other people. But I live in a big fuck off Beverly Hills mansion and I make no apologies for it. And I've made a lot of money and I'm gonna make a lot more. And I'm not just going to give everything away. I'm going to do a lot of cool shit for a lot of people and make no mistake, I'm gonna make my money in service of other people. So the money that I made that allowed me to buy this and to have all these cameras and the big house and all of that was I was trying to end metabolic disease, which I think is a pretty noble pursuit. And I was willing to break myself in half to actually make that real. 
And I was rewarded for it because I made something that people valued more than the money in their hand. So that to me is the goal. Make something that people actually value. Value exchange is the only thing that's sustainable over time, but this isn't about being a martyr. I have no interest in that. This isn't about even being Mother Teresa. This is about having a legitimate, compassionate desire to help other people because it feels fucking awesome. And doing cool things for other people is really good business now as well. So it feels great. It will make you feel good about yourself. It'll give you a deep and lasting sense of fulfillment and I can't think of anything that is a better marketing vehicle than just being a great person. So you're living through what I consider the most magical time to be an entrepreneur, not because there's no startup costs, that's also awesome, but because of social media where you will be rewarded or punished based on the kind of person that you are. It is very weird. It has never happened before in human history, but here we are living through it. Do good things for people, make products that serve, and you will do just fine. All right, next up, Pablo GDT. This is on Facebook. Hey, Tom, I found a new job that intrigues me and I'm eager to learn as much as possible. What advice would you give to focus fiercely over long periods of time in order to achieve optimal learning? Um, this is one of those ones where the answer is so simple and it comes down to excitement. And I think this is one of the things that has gotten lost in the entrepreneurial revolution where everybody wants to start their own company is people aren't asking themselves a simple question. What am I excited about? What gives me more energy than it takes away? So I read a lot. I'm learning a lot. And the reason that I'm learning is what I'm trying to achieve in my life really excites me, but I don't want to play at it. I don't want to pretend. I want to actually execute against my dreams. And I love right now that people think that my dream is ridiculously big and that we're never going to do it. And I see the looks that people give me when I tell them what I'm doing. And I actually had one guy pull me aside not too long ago. And he said, Tom, I just want you to know not everybody's inspired by how big your dream is. And I thought, yeah, I get that. I understand the way that people's minds work. Um, but as I execute against it, step by step by step, I'm able to work that hard to do that because I'm really excited about it. I'm really amped to close my eyes and envision that future and then open my eyes and execute against it. So because I have that, I have a real hunger for that knowledge. And over time, as long as I'm not losing interest in what it is that I'm trying to accomplish on the days where it's boring or I'm exhausted, I just refocus on that. I refocus on what it is that I'm actually trying to accomplish. And I know that skills have a real world value. And so the combination of being excited about getting better and the getting better is going towards something that I really believe in and it's in service of other people so it makes me feel really good about myself, makes me feel connected to people and you get yourself in a virtuous cycle like that. All right, let us take a question from our live studio audience. Who hath one? All right, jump on up. G'day Tom, how you doing? Good man, how about you? Good, really, really happy to be here. Nice. Um, question about time management i was curious about how you structure your days and your weeks to one get so much done to minimize procrastination and three basically just make everything come together and work properly so that you're not getting overwhelmed and burnt out but also achieving what you need to okay so there's a lot in there and it's all important so if i forget any remind me yep. um so here's how i structure my time i structure it right? That just knowing that you have things on a calendar that you can look at your calendar, determine your priorities. Also, I usually have a high um, level arching thing about how I'm looking at my schedule. So 2017 was my year of yes. So it was going to be encountering a lot of different things, a lot of different people. And it's given me great things like 
getting to know Daniel. You guys being here is a direct result of 2017 was a year of yes. So um, if somebody said, hey, in fact, this is actually how it happened. I was with Noah Kagan and he said, hey, do you want to go meet this guy, Daniel DiPiazza? Uh, and I was like, yes, the answer is always yes. So we go, we meet, we click, and it's become like a real relationship. 2018 is my year of no, and you're gonna see that now in my calendar. Because what ended up happening 2017, I made a lot of awesome relationships and they continue to echo and I'm very grateful for them. And it's not that I won't go see people, it's just that it began to mushroom where it was taking so much of my time that I didn't feel like I was able to be strategic enough and really be at a high level and just think about shit. And, I, and depending on what your role in the company is, that can be very valuable. So for instance, my wife and I, she's the co-founder of the company. My wife's job is not to think high level about shit. My wife's job is to make sure things actually happen, to execute, to think through tactically, right? So if I'm thinking high level strategically, she's thinking in the nitty gritty tactically, and you need both. So I need to be having those um, strategic, that time, the equivalent of, you know, the two hour, I don't do this, but the, um, getting myself in the zone of the two hour warm shower, right? Where it's just like, there's no distractions. You almost sort of forget about your, your physicality and your physical space. And you're just thinking through like how each chest move affects another and what the ripple effects of all this are and to make sure that you're actually yeah, moving forward. Detroit. So that's like my high level, right? So yeah. because I have my high level, because I know that this year I really need to like be getting super strategic because now the team has gotten much better at the tactical. So that flip, then I make sure that I schedule everything out, including the time to do that thinking. So in my schedule, just like as a land grab, I go through and I put huge blocks of time, two hours, three hours, four hours at a time that just say important things. And so important things are like the things that I know that I need to move forward in the company or I need to figure out or whatever the case may be. And then I keep a list so that I'm never thinking, what are the important things? Like I've got a list, I just go through the list, very simple, no time lost to thinking. And then I cognitively optimize, and this is huge. And that means I get as much sleep as I need, I eat right, and I exercise. And if you do that, your efficiency of thought skyrockets. When you're fatigued, you're gonna be slow, your thinking is gonna be slow, your ideas are gonna be worse. So I resent sleep. So this is not like me making excuses for sleep. In fact, there are some times where I get so angry at how much I'm sleeping, I'll finally sleep less just out of rage. And so I'll wake up like super early and be like, fuck yeah, but I can't do that many days in a row because then it, it starts to impact yeah, my yeah. cognition. So I sleep only because it is necessary. I have not used an alarm in like 15 years now. Um, so I think things like that are important. I never check email. That's really important. Now, full disclosure, my assistant does check my email. She's got a list of say seven to 10 people that she's on the constant lookout to see if they send me something. And if something comes in that looks like it's a real opportunity, but I probably on average reply to less than five emails a week. So that's it. Like I don't fuck with email. Like if the reason I don't, by the way, and the reason that I implore people to be awash in shame if they're checking email is because when you check email, you're saying somebody else knows better what I should be doing to grow my business than I do. And that's just, it, it might be true, by the way, but shame, shame on you. So you should be the person who knows what your business needs because you should be thinking about it. You should be able to get to that strategic level to know what you're trying to accomplish, have worked backwards to figure out the gap in skill set and accomplishment that you have to cross in order to actually execute against your dreams, right? So. No one's gonna know that better than you, not if you're doing it right. And so what are the odds that someone just happens to email the exact thing that you need, virtually zero. So yeah, email, email triggers a dopamine loop and so it's super fucking Just like dangerous. social media. 
Yeah. So social media, I think is actually a separate beast. You can use it stupidly, just like email where you go in and I find Reddit does this to me where each one is like just cool enough that I want to see the next one and the next one and the next one. And then all of a sudden you've lost 30 minutes. It's crazy. Uh, but social media also evens the playing field. Not only does it allow you to build a community of people who understand and value what you're doing. Um, it allows you to connect with people that in any other time in human history, you'd never have been able to connect with. So that one to me comes down to, I actually spend way more time on social than I spend in email, even though at a surface level, you could level that same criticism. But if you take it a layer deeper to see what I'm doing, my entire business rests on the back of my ability to build a community of people who believe in what I'm trying to accomplish and yeah. want to be a part of it. Of course. So yeah. that, right, becomes very different than just traditional email. Yeah, I mean, it's um, not just like you're scrolling, wasting time, right? Correct, which email will trigger that. Yeah, exactly. Super weird. There's another part to what you asked. How do you balance not getting burnt out but burnout. also getting what you need done. done right, let me address burnout. Minimizing so, procrastination. Burnout to me is, is very simply a question of do you like what you're doing or not? So actually that's a lie. Burnout is two things. Do you like what you're doing or not? Does it add more energy than it takes? And then two, mindset is the third thing that you should focus on. And I'm like the mindset guy. So when the mindset guy says mindset's in third position, you should really take it seriously. What's one and two? And one and two are diet and exercise. At a cellular level, you are quite literally what you eat. And I don't know how many more studies have to come out that show how exercise impacts cognition before people realize you're just not cognitively optimized. I if found you're not that out the last out. couple of weeks, working so, out before I work. Yep. Yeah, I, I wish it weren't so because I absolutely despise working out. <laughs> um, and not working out for one day is, is awesome. And people mm. are always like, oh, don't you feel lethargic? No, I have, I'm a bundle of fucking energy if I take the day off the gym. But if I take a week or two weeks, then I really start to notice, whoa, like I'm slowing down. Mm -hmm. So diet, exercise, then mindset, because you're just putting a Band-Aid on a much bigger problem if you don't have diet and exercise right. Also, the way that it feeds into the microbiome, which probably has a way bigger impact on everything than we think. Um, So normally when somebody says that they're not... um, they're burning out. They're either doing the wrong thing, meaning you just don't care about your industry or your product, um, or you do, but you're getting lost in the physicality of not being able to produce ATP. So that's the the sort of reality there. Cool. Cool. All right. Thank you for your question. Thank you. All right. Next up, we've got a question from Carla Ayala. This is on Facebook. How does a person find their drive, desire, or passion when life has beaten them into reality too early in life? Okay. One, you don't find your drive, desire, or passion. You cultivate each and every one of those. So it's going to be a decision that you're making. You're going to choose, even though you feel fatigued, even though you feel beaten down, even though life is trying its best to prove to you that for whatever reason, your dreams don't get to come true. You're going to refuse to believe that. And some just downright obstinance is going to come into play here. And then repetition, the things that you say. Now, in this scenario, I think your invisible beliefs, which has become a real obsession of mine lately, your invisible beliefs, meaning the things that you believe to be so fundamentally true that you never stop to ask whether they actually are true or not. You never stop to think about the fact that they were a choice at one point, but they were probably a choice made by your parents. And it just became your reality because everyone around you seemed to believe the same thing. Um, There are questions that you can ask yourself, and I'll give you a few. Two of them I've stolen straight from Albert Einstein. The first one is, he said, the most important decision, let that sink in, 
The most important decision any human being will ever make is whether they live in a friendly or hostile universe, meaning there is no objective truth there. You've just decided. Either the world is working against me or it's working for me. And I remember in the 80s, everyone used to say the same thing. Life's just a bitch and today is another day. That's absurd. And points out a belief that if you actually believe that, that every day is going to suck, you wake up expecting it to suck. And guess what? There's a saying called the reticular activating system. And it's going to make sure that you see all the shitty things because that's what you're focusing on. So you're going to see all the evidence of how life really is a bitch and how today is just another day. If on the other hand, you flip that and you decide that life is glorious, it's amazing. There's so much cool shit happening. That's what you're going to see. And that brings me to the second question, which is, is everything in life a miracle or is nothing in life a miracle? Again, from Albert Einstein. You get to choose. Neither one of them is objectively true. You get to decide if a flower growing is like unimaginably cool or being able to turn lights on in the house, indoor plumbing, a breeze on an otherwise stiflingly cold day or a warm air vent, since I'm sure many people listening to this right now are in cold ass places. Like, are those miracles or not? And depending on how you look at that will determine whether when you walk by that warm air vent, you get a rush of like joy and like, whoa, this is so cool. And to allow yourself to get excited and to be childlike in that moment is going to have a profound impact on your brain, literally the structures of your brain because you're wiring for the things that you use most. So if you're forcing yourself to focus on the joy, the beauty, the miracle of everyday things, then that's the region of your brain that is going to get myelinated, which is where fatty tissue is wrapped around the neurons that allows electrical impulses to travel faster. So it literally becomes more easy, becomes easier, becomes easier to think in that region because you've prioritize it. And as I say, neurons that fire together, wire together, and that's the wiring that they're talking about. So you get what you focus on. Um, there are more questions, but I will leave you with uh, just one more, which is to ask yourself, are you capable of anything that you set your mind to, or are there limits to what you can comprehend? So depending on how you believe about that um, will determine a large quality of your life. So Choose wisely, my friends. All right, so getting beyond invisible beliefs. All right, next question is from Corbin Bennett. This is one is from Facebook. When people want to be great at something, they don't want to do the stuff behind the scenes that will get you good at what you do. They want the platform and success without putting the work no one sees. What attributes, virtues, and lessons should an aspiring entrepreneur cultivate in order to best succeed? Okay, so I think it's awesome. Everybody should want shortcuts, look for shortcuts, get after it. Amazing. I'm routinely asking, what could I do to short circuit this, to go faster, to do, as Peter Thiel says, my 10-year plan in six months? Now, here's the difference. I don't give up when it doesn't happen. I go all out, balls to the wall every day like I can actually pull it off in six months, but I know that I'm going to need to act like that every day of my life for years and years and years and years. I am totally anti-patience. I have no patience. I'm trying to make stuff come right now. I want any and every shortcut that I can. But when you're saying that from the position of, but I will do whatever it takes from within my code of ethics to get where I wanna go, then all of a sudden, if you find a shortcut, great, you use it. Otherwise, you just grind it the fuck out. It's when people get whiny and pissed that there aren't shortcuts that they can find, that they're wasting time on things that don't stack up 
And this is important. The shortcuts that I'm looking for are shortcuts that are going to be more of a lead domino, that if I can get that to fall down, then the next thing goes, and the next thing goes, and the next thing goes, and it makes things easier. So I'll give you an example of a lead domino. Sleep is a lead domino. Diet is a lead domino. Exercise is a lead domino because it sets me up to be cognitively optimized so I can do the other things faster. Learning to read faster is a lead domino. So for me, a massive breakthrough in my life was Audible because I could take in information much faster by speeding up the Audible app than I could by trying to read the physical book, which I'm just not talented at yet. I've not put the energy into that and now no longer feel the need to because of the Audible app. So I consider speeding Audible up to 3X a shortcut, absolutely. I think mentors are shortcuts. I think reading other people's books just in general are shortcuts. You're learning from people. There's a great quote. It was Aristotle or Socrates, I can never remember which. Read so that you may learn with ease what other people have struggled greatly to learn. So all of those things are shortcuts. I don't think that um, you should try to avoid them. What you should try to do is make sure that each shortcut stacks on top of itself so that as you go, you're learning, learning, learning versus get rich quick schemes, which is what I think people are really looking for. So I'll use social media as an example. Can you buy followers instead of just doing the hard ass work of going in and engaging? In fact, just recently I was giving a talk. Now I get paid to speak, whether I go up on stage for 30 minutes and then leave, like literally come in 10 minutes before I go on stage and then leave immediately afterwards that I do, whether I go and stay and do what I call an endless Q and A, which I've done for up to 11 hours. Now, the reason that I do that is because I know to build a community, you've got to be willing to engage one-on-one, -on -one, let people look you in your eyes, shake hands, let people know that you're willing to suffer to serve. That's when things get really interesting. And since my goal is to build a community, I'm willing to go out and do that. So that's not a shortcut. That is the exact opposite of a shortcut. But all of that stuff stacks. It's brick by brick. You're able to build something. And going around touring like a musician to really build a community of people that believe in it instead of just going out and buying followers is you get a dramatically different result. So you've got to get really good at understanding where taking a shortcut will actually hurt you in the long run versus speed you up. All right. Next question is from Lucia Dragos. All right. So on Facebook, if you have two big ideas, one is related to my why, but will not bring money faster. The second is farther from my why, but will bring the money faster to allow me to have the time to start idea one, which would you choose? Here's the truth. If you're not making money, you will go out of business. And if you go out of business, you're not going to be able to do what you want. So the just ugly reality to building something that you really believe in and care about is you've got to find a way to make money. And that is something that we talk about here. A lot of people think the impact theory is a nonprofit. It absolutely is not. This is a for-profit company. We sell shit. In fact, go right now to shop.impacttheory.com and support Buy something that is going to help you, and that certainly helps us. In fact, today's show is brought to you by the shirt, Everything is My Fault. So you can find it right now at shop.impacttheory.com. We only sell things we believe in that we think will actually make people's lives better. The shirts are this whole thing called self-signaling, which is a tried and true psychological principle about when you try to say something to other people, you end up saying it loudest to yourself and reminding yourself that everything is your fault. Taking extreme ownership is one of the most powerful things that you could do. So that's how that ultimately looks. But I understand that we've got to make decisions to make money. So for instance, the speak engagements, not only do they pay really well, they're extremely profitable. 
So we spend a lot of time and energy making sure that I'm getting out there and speaking so that we're gonna have the money that we need to continue to fuel the studio. Why are we starting with comic books instead of just you know throwing $50 million at a major Hollywood blockbuster? Because if that Hollywood blockbuster fails, we're done. So making sure that you're able to sustain yourself for the long run is absolutely critical. So I wouldn't do something that is diametrically opposed to what you wanna do, but you are gonna have to find a way to make money. That is just the truth. All right, next question is from Kimra Luna, also on Facebook. Hi, Tom, I run a seven-figure business. Congratulations. And I'm going through a divorce and I have three kids. Ouch. This has taken a blow to me emotionally and has made it difficult for me to create like I used to. My company has been making less profit because of my lack of creative drive. What would you recommend I do to get back into my creative flow? All right, this is gonna be really fucking tactical. You are going to start meditating. You start meditating like a fiend. It's gonna be one of the first things that you do in the morning. And I know, you don't have time, right? I get it. But if you don't do it, everything is going to be suboptimal after that. Because to get into that creative state, you've got to clear your head of all the like self-judgment. Because I can only imagine you're, you're feeling like I'm a failure because my marriage failured. failed. Uh, I'm a failure because I have kids and now they're going to be punished um, needlessly because of the divorce. And you're beating yourself up over that. And that is spinning cycles that is taking your mind away from what it needs. Now, in all the crazy heinous shit that I've gone through since I started um, meditating, I have never once failed, given enough time, I've never once failed to get to true neutral, meaning I had zero stress, zero anxiety. Now, there were times it took me 45 minutes to get to that point where I was finally there, where I was breathing from my diaphragm, slowing my heart rate, getting my thoughts to calm down, and it took a very long time to do it. But never, ever once did I fail to get to complete neutral. So I think that you will be able to do that um, doing a very simple just breathe style form of meditation or try a guided meditation and see if it helps. Now, the reason that you want to do that and the reason this is all tied to creativity is you get into an alpha wave state, which is known as calm and creative. So you get into that calm, creative place where the ideas just seem to bubble forth from the subconscious. So, but first you have to quiet all the noise is being kicked up by what you're going through. Do that. I think you're going to find a lot of peace settling back into your life. And then Find other people that have gone through a divorce, but that are very positive on the other side. They're not embittered people. They're not frustrated or angry or woe is me, that won't help. You need to find people that have really found beauty on the other side of it and hang around them. They're going to understand what you're going through. They're going to help you through that. So I think between meditating and finding people um, that are in that space, even if you have to just find them online, I think will be incredibly, incredibly empowering and will allow you to get creative again. And then honestly, make some fucking demands of yourself. There's just no way around that. So you can't tolerate in yourself sliding into unhappiness or overwhelm or any of that stuff. You literally just have to say, nope, I'm not going to do it. I refuse. I'm going to go meditate. I'm going to go chill. I'm going to go do whatever. I'm going to lean on one of my trusted employees, whatever the case is going to be, but I am absolutely not going to fall into a dark place through all of this. Um, yeah. And that's that. All right, so I fear that we may be running out of time. I can't see the time, but I'm getting a warning. So we're going to take one more question from the audience. Who's gotten? There it is. Oh, hey, Tom. What's up? So you spoke before about uh, selflessness and selfishness. How do you reconcile that with self-sabotage and not wanting to leave your family and your friends behind, right? Not wanting to disconnect from the reality that everybody else lives in. You ever heard of crabs in a bucket? Yeah. All right. I don't know if this is true, but it's such a profound analogy that we're going to move forward as if it's true. 
The story goes, if you put a single crab in a bucket, it will crawl out every time and you can't keep them there. But if you put even two crabs in a bucket, neither of them will ever give it out because as the first one starts to climb out, the second one pulls them back down and vice versa. That's how I feel about family and friends. Dude, you can love them all you want, meet them with absolute compassion, enjoy them for who they are and where they are and all of that. But they don't in any way, shape or form get to dictate what you do with your life. So that's just to me, like that's a non-negotiable. So if somebody has a growth mindset, that's awesome. We can spend just a lot of time together. If you don't have a growth mindset, I have literally no judgment because I spent so many years of my life there. I totally get it. And I can still be with you and love you and enjoy you. And honestly, I'm a little bummed because I know how much better their life would be if they had a growth mindset, but I don't in any way, shape or form take seriously the advice or the criticisms that come from somebody who doesn't have a growth mindset. They are literally the second crab in the bucket. So they're making decisions that don't help them, nor do they help me. So I ask of everything I do and everything I believe doesn't move me towards my goals. So if it does, then I'll do it. So if hanging out with my family actually moves me towards my goals or a friend, you know, whatever, then I'll do it. But if it doesn't, then I'm not going to. So from that perspective, that is so cut and dry in me. Now, make no mistake, if you saw me with my family, I, I am legitimately having a good time with them. I love being around them, but there are varying degrees of growth mindset. So most of the time, I'm just going to ignore the advice. So, and having the strength of character to say, I'm the type of person that, so behavior is controlled by identity. I'm the type of person that doesn't believe that which moves me towards my goals. Like that's such a core part of who I am that if somebody were to say to me, Hey, I've, I've suggested this to you a thousand times. You're just ignoring me. Why are you ignoring me? I would say, Hey, I totally get it. And I'm actually quite grateful that you took the time to share what you think, but I do believe that which moves me towards my goals. And I don't see how what you're saying moves me towards my goals because it's probably something about how I'm going to fail. And so just logically focusing on how I'm going to fail isn't going to serve me. Also, I say you read in a book. I read in a book that you should model yourself after people who have credibility that have done something at least three times and been successful at it, which you have not in my chosen endeavor. And so um, for that reason, like I have no reason to overvalue your opinion. So I love you. Yay. Thank you. Um, but like I'm literally going to ignore your advice. I will continue to ignore your advice. And what's going to happen is they're going to get really hurt and really offended. And then you have to, and they'll probably be um, passive aggressive. And then you have to remember that people treat you exactly the way you let them treat you. Um, So when people are passive aggressive with me, even in my family, I'll say, hey, um, that, that feels passive aggressive to me. And so if there's something that's going on that you're not able to articulate, like I'm very open to the criticism. So if I've done something wrong, I want to know so that I can get better. Um, but I'd really like to get to the truth of what's upsetting you and not just the surface thing. And if you're able to articulate things like that, um, it'll piss them off at first. It will be hard. I get it. I've lived through this. It will be hard. But if you really are the kind of person that does and believes that which moves you towards your goals, you don't have any other option. Make sense? Oh, yeah. Word. All right. Wow. We got a standing ovation from one person on that one. Uh, All right. So... I'm going to guess we're out of, we are, we're over time. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. If this added any value to your life, please do share it. That would be massive. And remember, go to shop.impacttheory.com right now. We've got a whole bunch of amazing apparel there that you can buy that will self-signal to you, that will remind you of the ideology that's going to empower you and let you do what you do. And also, it's a pretty cool signaling mechanism. We actually had two people find each other on a bus 
because they were both wearing Impact Theory gear. Mm -hmm. I thought that was amazing. Uh, so if that ever happens to you, by the way, be sure to take a picture and send that in or tag us even more importantly. That would be amazing. All right, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.